Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Let me go ahead and start with our introductions. And hopefully our speaker will be back. It's <laughs> 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 um, our custom here at GBM to say our names and look at each other and see who we are. Um, I'm Joe Good. I'm Howard Deport. I'm Henry Rabinowitz. I'm Carl Wolf. Um, my name is Michael. Oh, my name is Harley Shapiro. I am uh, my mother. My name is Steve. My name is Zuriel. My name is Scott. And Jim Buker. Baruch Golden. I'm Jeffrey. My name is Ben. <coughs> I'm George. My name is Roy. Peter. Michael. Joe. My name is Mark. My name is Jay Davidson. I'm Richard Azzolini. My name is Tatuan. I'm Brian. My name is Clint. My name is Oswaldo. My name is Ben Fishman. I'm Ed. My name is Jerry Jones. My name is John. My name is Bonnie Villamoria. Bob Jack. Uh, Michael. I'm Nathan. My name is David. My name is Lee. I'm Jerry. My name is Paige Logan. I'm Jerry Martin. My name is Dave Rowe. Roger. How many of you are here for the first or second time? New people. Please. Please try to make our new people feel welcome in the social hall. organization, John Adrakis Community Services, provides a wide range of services, including support groups, workshops, classes, and talks. John's community work is based on <coughs> harm reduction principles, a way to meet everyone with complete acceptance, and allows for a client-centered modality. Among her many activities, John leads a meditation group at Glide Memorial Church on Monday evenings and facilitates an ongoing peer support group for the case manager at Underline Housing Clinic, where she runs a mindfulness group and a grief stress support group and gives one-on-one -on -one counseling to staff and clients. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. <coughs> <coughs> so don't go all along. 
I want to leave at least 30 seconds at the end for questions. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. And I'd like to dedicate this talk to um, my Dharma brother, Isan Dorsey, and uh, another Dharma brother, Reverend John King. Well, that Jana Draka person sounds wonderful, but unfortunately, um, she couldn't come this morning. So, um, she's over at a friend's house looking after a cat that fell off the balcony. So, um, actually, this morning we're having a Gengetsu Junsei. And Gengetsu Junsei is a monk in uh, the uh, Soto Zen Buddhist lineage. And Gengetsu Junsei is a Dharma ancestor, which is the way that the teaching is traditionally passed on in Buddhist practice, from your teacher to teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher to student. Usually from uh, about 2,600 years ago, it's been from him to him and him to him and him to him and him to him. And him to him, and um, my teacher was actually the first woman in our branch of the lineage. So um, it's a very uh, interesting background. <laughs> um, well, Gengetsu never writes talks, and uh, in fact, it's very interesting to come and listen to a talk. You can't actually, um, you know, if you could gain enlightenment from listening to a talk, you'd all be floating two feet above your cushions already. I mean, you must have had an awful lot of talks in here, right? Um, there's a part of one of the sutras that says, the meaning is not in the words, yet it responds to the inquiring impulse. And when you think about it, if only people who were extremely intelligent and perhaps really good at philosophy, perhaps, or psychology, if it was only those kind of people who could get enlightened, then our practice wouldn't be much use. It would only be of use to a few people. And um, in fact, another one of the sutras, and sutra is just a word for um, the teachings of the Buddha, Another one of the sutras says, um, between the dull and the sharp-witted, there is no difference. So in other words, anything that looks kind of exclusive about our practice must be kind of a mistake. Because surely there's no way that anyone can be excluded from this kind of um, faith, if you want to even call it a faith. Some folks would even argue that it, uh, Buddhism as a whole is not a religion. Um, I'm often asked, well, why are you bowing to those statues? You know, why do you bow to that big icon? Why have we got pictures of strange-looking people with top knots on the top of their head? Why do we have images? Why do we bow to these things? And, of course, the answer is you're bowing to yourself your own Buddha nature, your own inherent goodness. So it's not actually something external at all. You're bowing to your own innate 
Buddha nature, as we call it. Now, an old lover of mine came one time to a lecture at Zen Center, and uh, instead of being impressed by everyone sitting around in their black robes and hearing my teacher talk, in fact, she said, well, that was, that was just a load of hooey. <laughs> After the talk, and there I was thinking, oh, how wonderful, you know, she'll hear my teacher, she'll realize why I went into this practice. Not that was a load of hooey. So I said, well, what was it in particular that was a load of hooey? And she said, it was because your teacher said that innately, inside us, we are all Buddhas that we all have Buddha nature and that that Buddha nature is a good thing. And she said she didn't believe that. She thought that there were probably quite a few people who inside weren't that good, wonderful, caring, compassionate, Buddha nature kind of person. And she said she'd known quite a few of those in her life that were just evil, nasty and mean, you know. <laughs> So she said the, the, what it's based on, what Buddhism, Buddhism is based on, that we can all be compassionate, we can all be loving and kind to each other, was inherently wrong. Because of course, I mean if you think about yourself, do you see yourself as loving, kind, compassionate, caring? Raise your hand if you think you're loving, kind. <laughs> There we go, so not all the time, but how about most of the time even? There, that's a bit better. And we've still got a few people that don't particularly care for themselves. <laughs> the fact is that, of course, I mean, point me out the perfect person. You know, there is no perfect person, you know, um, and that's what makes us all perfect. Because, you know, I, I, I see it as a mistake in a lot of people's um, practice when they're meditating or sitting zazen. And they tend to see, well, I have this fault. And, well, you know, it's hard to sit and meditate without seeing that kind of thing come up, you know. <laughs> oh, dearie me, look at that one. Oh, dear, you know, oh, that's not so good. Oh, well, I'll need to work on that one, you know. <laughs> I'll be enlightened when I've fixed up that one, you know. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Botox meditation. You know? <laughs> We'll just flatten out that bit and that'll look all right. And, but, you know, it's such a mistake. We're not put on the earth to be Ken and Barbie dolls. It's ridiculous, you know. And that's one of the reasons that I admire Isan Dorsey so much. And if you've not heard about Isan, he was um, drag queen. Um, there's a wonderful book, Street Zen, although it's got some inaccuracies, but... He was a drag queen female impersonator, went up to Alaska and did shows and lived up on Hate Street with the family and took all the drugs you could think of and drank a lot and fought people, was famous for dancing on tabletops. Then he found Zen. Right? And it's not that then suddenly all that background dropped away. And he knew, he knew, like I know, you know, you're not ever going to be that perfect person. And, you know, he's one of the most loved people. He started taking in uh, men in the early 80s into Hartford Street Zen Centre. He saw guys outside being ill, 
and of course we all know what that was and he started to care for guys and eventually uh, Hartford Street Zen Centre became the first hospice, Maitri Hospice. So it wasn't that he suddenly became perfect. What made him more approachable was that everybody knew he was a drag queen. Everybody knew he had, you know, an incredibly debauched life, you know, before he became a Zen priest. And that's what made him approachable. And that's what made him perfect. In fact, every, every single one of you sitting here in this room is perfect. You're the most perfect you that you could ever be. There couldn't be a better you than you. There isn't actually anything to wait for to feel good about yourself, to feel complete in yourself, to know that you're this person sitting right here. There's nothing to wait for. Suzuki Roshi said, um, you're all perfect just the way you are. And then he said, and we could all use a little improvement. <laughs> now, everybody can get down with that second part. You're right, yes, I could use a little improvement. You know, if only my hair were longer and more blonde, you know, things like that. But who can really relate to the first part? You're perfect the way you are. And I think this is particularly important for us gay folks that have grown up and a lot and probably quite a lot of us were told that we were the furthest thing from perfect that you could possibly have. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of tend to take that on. No, I'm not perfect, you're right, I'm queer, I'm weird, I'm strange, you know. And sometimes we have to spend quite a lot of time regaining that feeling of, I'm okay, I'm fine. It took me years and years and years. I used to think there was something very, very wrong with me. Maybe I was right, I don't know. <laughs> but the more time I spent with meditation, the more time I just sat there with all this stuff coming up about how terrible I was and how awful I was, all the stuff that I'd learned as a child, eventually one can be at peace with that. You know? um, as I always say, there's no point in beating ourselves up. There's enough people out there that will do that for us. It's us that have to be accepting of ourselves. Because if you truly accept yourself, no one out there can actually get at you at all, if we truly accept ourselves. Um, I've been speaking once a month at MCC in the Castro on different topics. We call it an evening retreat. And the last time, I think it was the last time, um, we talked about the mind. And there's an interesting thing. I mean... What mind? You know, where is this mind that we keep talking? Oh, my mind, oh, you know. Oh, I've got a lot on my mind. You know, oh, my mind's driving me crazy. Oh, oh. You know, and there's a famous Zen story, which I've used actually for my advertisement for the next evening retreat, September 21st, um, where uh, someone goes to Bodhidharma, the great Zen master, and says, my mind is driving me crazy, I can't stand it anymore, would you please fix it for me? And Bodhidharma goes, sure, I'll fix it for you, give it to me, I'll fix it for you. 
So it's an interesting question. If you ever meet a, a Buddhist teacher that gives you all the answers, run, run, run for the world. <laughs> it's an interesting question. Where is the mind and what is this mind that we keep talking about? And if you talk to, for example, a, a Japanese person about the mind, and they'll say, yes, the mind's right here. And the word in, um, in uh, Japanese uh, for mind, or Chinese, shin, is actually two. It can mean either heart or mind. So, but we keep saying the mind's up here. It's very interesting, and we get so stuck. This is the thing that causes all the problems, after all, isn't it? It's where all the suffering comes from. Oh, my God, things are awful. Where's that coming from? Who's that saying that? Very interesting. Who is it we're listening to when we meditate? Who's that? It's very interesting. I've had some people say, well, that, that's the voice of God. That can be a tricky, dangerous one, though. You know, when you start, if you believe what the voice is saying, that, you know, that can lead to trouble. But what is this mind? Um, we actually investigate, investigated it quite a bit at the last evening retreat. What's interesting is, when you're listening to someone talk, and I said at the beginning, you know, um, actually it's almost impossible to talk about Buddhism because you say one thing, you're missing out everything else. Um, but when we're talking about this, and we're talking about something like the mind, which is where you get the information that you're not perfect, right? Where else would you get that? I mean, people saying it to you, that doesn't really matter. It's in here that we have to realize that perfection. So how is it that you might even find yourself agreeing with someone that tells you you're not perfect? You might read in the newspaper that we can't get married yet and think, oh, well, you know, maybe there's something to that, you know? <laughs> We have to be extremely strong inside ourselves, but how, how do we find that strength? So to look at the mind is a very interesting um, exercise, because actually the mind is simply a filter. It's to cut down on how much stimulation we take in. All this information, these waves coming, you know, if we actually focused on every single thing that was coming in right now. We couldn't leave this room. We'd have to look at every single little crack in the floorboards. I'd have to examine your shirt and look at all the, the waft and the wet. I mean, there's so much information. We could spend a few hours <coughs> looking at that pillar. So basically, your mind cuts it down a bit, and you get to focus on what's supposed to be important. Right. And so we direct our attention to things that we think are important. And we agree with things if we think they're important. We say, oh yes, that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. But we actually already have, from growing up, like we were talking about earlier, from growing up we have, we develop an opinion about ourselves. We think we know what we're like. So then... <coughs> If something comes in from outside, someone says to you, oh, you know, you're so good-looking, right? And if you already think about yourself that I'm good-looking, then you go, oh, yes, thank you. Yes, you'll agree, right? 
But that's fine. But then if I say to you, oh, you're so stupid, and somewhere in the childhood and the growing up process you were told over and over again, you're stupid. And somewhere in this mythological mind exists that thing, oh, yeah, I'm stupid. Someone says you're stupid, boom, you agree. So in other words, we have already within us an opinion about ourselves. We think we know who we are. And we think that we're very far away from being that, that perfect person, that lovely, kind, compassionate person. But the key word in all this is think. We think we're this, we think we're that. And I want to put this to you, and if you've heard me talk before, you might have heard me say this before. Thinking is extra. Things are as they are. Just, just this, just as they are. But we tend to let our minds run away with ourselves, whatever these minds are. And we start to think. We can't just be Greg sitting there. We have to be Greg who is na 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 You know? We can't just be Fred. We have to be Fred who is na 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 And the great liberation, the great liberation is to not go into that thinking, to not believe. My teacher says, don't believe everything you think. And I would say, she says I'm a bit too radical. I say, don't believe anything you think. <laughs> Can you be just right here, right now, without adding anything to it? You probably notice when you meditate, you've got like a little um, movie soundtrack going. You know, I'll pick something up, and if I was just here with this cup and there's something in it, that's fine. Peace, peace, perfect peace. The rest of your life, if you could just pick this up and go, cup, <sighs> something in it. But no, what do we do? We pick it up, we go, oh, I don't like this cup. Oh, I wish this cup, you know, had like maybe daisies painted on it. God, I could really go a beer. And this is not beer, this is water in here. I don't want water. I want a Corona with a lime on the edge. <laughs> suffering, suffering, suffering. <laughs> and it's really, I mean, it's so simple that we kind of keep walking on past it. It's so simple to just leave things as they are. What is so great, after all, about having opinions on this, opinions on that? You know? Yes, there are many different opinions possible on one thing. But if you have to be the one with the right opinion, suffering, 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 suffering. So in other words, the whole practice of sitting still with just what is, is in itself the complete liberation. If you can just leave things alone, if you can stop second guessing, you know, I should, no I shouldn't, well I will, maybe I will, maybe I won't, well, well, well. I mean I'm Libran, 
So I, I'm really good at that one, second guessing. You know. But if we can just take action, if we can say, for example, speak without thinking, what will they think of me? Where's my notes? You know? Oh my goodness, are they going to go away thinking that was great? Or they, you know, think, oh God, she looks weird, he looks weird, who's that? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Things, Suzuki Roshi, I know I keep saying Suzuki Roshi, but he was the one that brought the teaching of uh, Soto Zen Buddhism over here in, uh, I think it was 59. And this book, um, some of you might know, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And it's just... Um, when he was speaking, people would write down what he said or tape it, and then um, this is a transcribed, uh, his first talks. And um, anyway, he would always just say things as they is. And people thought, well, that's because he's Japanese and he had a funny accent and he didn't understand English very well. But actually, things as they is is a good way to remember it. It's just things as they is. And um, my teacher, Blanche, that she always says that's her only teaching, just things as they is. So, because I'm her disciple, my teaching is this. So it's much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Suitable for the attention span of the average... No, sorry. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Oh, well, I do want to leave time. Um... Um, before I came out, I thought, you know, every now and then, when I'm about to leave to come and do some uh, talk, and I start to think, well, what if it doesn't just flow? Because this is actually an example of living authentically, of not second-guessing yourself. But when I'm getting ready to leave the house, I think, well, <laughs> what if I dry up or something? <laughs> What if Genjutsu Junsei doesn't keep going? And um, I just looked around my friend's house and I saw um, a copy of the Heart Sutra that um, I had actually given her, sitting up on the altar, which I had actually given her as well. Um, and it's, uh, as you probably know, the Heart Sutra is the, the heart of all Buddhism. Every kind of Buddhist school studies this. It's said to be the heart of the teaching, and uh, there are a zillion commentaries on it, and um, it's a wonderful, wonderful teaching. And then I thought, well, why not have the Scottish version instead, which is much shorter Good for the... Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the Scottish teaching, which is the Scottish Heart Sutra, as I say, it's much shorter, it's on this poster. <laughs> and um, Scottish people, in case you didn't know or hadn't noticed, Scottish people like to tell stories. So, um, this is actually a poem by Rabbi Burns, Robert Burns, written in 19, uh, sorry, 1785, and it's called Te which for those of you challenged in the Scottish dialect is To a Mouse. And it's uh, um, written a poem that he wrote, he was a ploughman, and it's a poem he wrote to a mouse when he accidentally run his plough 
through the mouse's little house and destroyed it. So it starts off, we sleek it, cool and timorous beastie, all our panics in thy breastie, then didn't he start away so hasty, we bicker and brattle. Right, so. <laughs> and that was the meaning of life. <laughs> um, actually, it just, it just says, um, you know, tiny little creature, I'm so sorry I ran through your house with my plough, and then the story goes on. You know, it's the middle of winter, you won't be able to find anything to build a new house with, and oh, how tragic, your babies are all out in the cold, and all this kind of thing. So then it gets to the very end, and he's, he's apologised to the mouse, and said that, you know, it's men that break our communion, not men as in men and women, but people who break our communion with nature that if only we could be in harmony with the way things are in nature. So he sounds a bit like a Taoist. <coughs> then at the end, he, the final verse, when he's talking to the mouse, he says, and I won't do the funny accent. But, of course, you realise it's all of you that have funny accents. <laughs> I'm the only one talking normally in the whole room. So at the very end, he says, Still thou art blessed, compared with me. The present only toucheth thee. But ach, there's a good Scottish word, ach, I backward cast my e on prospects drear, and forward, though I cannot see, I guess and fear. And to me, that's the, the heart of the Heart Sutra, it's the heart of all the teachings right there. If we can just be with things as they are, just <coughs> leave it alone. But as he says, as Burns says, we're always looking to the future. Oh, I hope that happens. Oh, when will this be over? You know, or the past. I wish I had never come. You know, this is terrible. I wish I hadn't done that. But right now, right here, <coughs> right in this moment, there's no stress. There's no worries if you look at your thinking right now, unless you're thinking about something else, and how dare you when I'm speaking. <laughs> unless you're thinking about something else, where's the stress? It's just us good folks sitting here, enjoying a beautiful morning. You know. So, although it sounds awfully simple, that's the whole point of our meditation. That, to me is the reason for sitting and attempting to stay right here. That's the great liberation. It's nothing fancy. If it was, then as I say, it wouldn't be open to everyone. As you know, I, I um, work out on the streets. I left Zen Center two and a half years ago. Because not everybody that I knew was comfortable coming into a kind of nice posh building and, and sitting there and uh, all these different forms and so forth. When the essence of what the Buddha taught was simply liberation. And liberation means staying right here, right now. He talked about the Four Noble Truths, of course, grasping things, oh, I need this, I need that, I need the other thing. But the, the simple, simple truth of the fact is that the liberation is right now right here. There's nothing to wait for. You're already just the perfect person right now. There's nothing 
nothing to hang on for. Um, it's that understanding, that realization that actually has transformed the way that um, I experience life. There'd be no point in sitting here talking about this if it was just some kind of set of ideas. But as I think most of you know, I was um, homeless and uh, due to going through a hellish, horrible relationship, ended up on the streets myself and couldn't get it together. Couldn't get my feet on the ground, had severe post-traumatic stress disorder. In fact, now I go around talking on behalf of the Mental Health Association to help end the stigma of people who had mental health issues. Um, so that's the only reason that I'm sitting here talking is because I would say that this very practice that we all just did of sitting here quietly, abiding here, being present here, saved my life and that's why I'm out teaching it to other people because there's joy and peace available in every single moment and it's very, very much much more simple than we think. And a lot of it actually is to do with training. You, it's not instant coffee. You're not going to sit down and suddenly, oh, oh, it's all, oh, look at that, it's all wonderful. But moment after moment, you know. Now, just before I go on too long, very quickly, meditation doesn't have to just be the thing you do when you sit down like that. Right? Meditation can be every single moment. You, my whole um, um, modus vivendi right now is to give full monastic training outside of the monastery. Well, how could you do that without sitting staring at the wall all day long? And the fact is, you can do that in every moment. If you want to, you can all train to be monks. I'm ordaining my first two people in October, and I've got more lined up for next year. And the people that I'm working with do not live in a temple, do not live in a Zen center, do not live in a monastery. Because it's possible to do this every second. Um, here's some, some examples. Um, taking the glasses off meditation. Putting the glasses on meditation. I didn't think about anything else except the glasses. So I had a few moments of meditation there. And then, of course, there's a wonderful cup of water meditation. So absolutely everything you do in your life, if you just slow it down a wee tad, pay attention. Remember we talked about it's the focus of attention. Do you want to focus on that voice that's going, you're so stupid, you know, me, 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 me. Or would you rather look at a cup of water and know that water is sustaining us all and so forth and so forth. So it comes down to making a choice. Do you want to stay in the moment? Would you like to be completely liberated? Or would you rather go around listening to that, me, 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 because that's all it is. My, one of my favorite teachers, Zuchi Amaroshi, he says the, the mind produces thoughts like the body produces sweat. It's just what it does. So I just want to encourage everyone, 
stay right here. That's a great gift to give whoever's talking to you, by the way, being right here. Yeah, I, I, I work with, uh, I help to train the Zen hospice volunteers. And all we're doing is training how to be right here. If someone's on their way out, they don't want to hear you go, nah, 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 nah. Can you just be here? And it's a great gift to give each other, complete presence, complete attention. But it's the best gift to give ourselves, to be able to be here and be what they call peacefully abiding. And um, that liberation is, is quite, quite wonderful. Um, I did nine memorials already this month. Um, and sometimes that can be a bit, kind of get me down a little bit. But also this month we've been practicing laughter meditation, which is quite wonderful. And um, somehow, even with people passing on, which of course we're all going to do anyway, there's been a lot of joy this month, and I completely put it down to our, uh, our practice. Um, in fact, I was so full of joy this month that in the middle of a memorial yesterday, uh, Friday, I told a joke. <laughs> I said, but anyway, it seemed like the man who passed on had a great sense of humour. And I said, am I right? Did he have a great sense of humour? And one of the women said, well, I don't know if I can say this to you because you're a priest. And that almost makes me laugh. You know? It's like Isan Dorsey. I mean, I don't pretend. Yes, I had a wonderfully debauched life. It was fantastic. Right? <laughs> I used to do um, fetish demonstrations, you know. And, and, you know, of course I've had a, a great past life. But... Um, yeah, so, so this person said, well, I, I would like to tell you about him, you know, but it's his memorial and I don't know him, you know. And I said, oh, go ahead, come on, you know, be real. We've got to be real in this life. So she said, well, you're right, he did have a great sense of humour. He lived in the mission. If anyone lives in the mission, you might have seen him. Um, he was gay. And he, had a, he was in a wheelchair and he built a little kind of cage around it and he decorated it with dildos. <laughs> and that's what so upset this woman, and she's been with children to see that, and that she didn't want to tell me that. And apparently the, the little joystick thing, you know, that steers the electric wheelchair was a big dildo. <laughs> and he used to drive around like that with it. You know. So having heard that, I thought, well, of course I can tell a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to hear the joke? <laughs> Laughter meditation, people were surprised when I brought that up a couple of months ago at um, the MCC retreat. And uh, folks actually thought I was just making it up because I have such a big sense of humour. But if you Google it, as I did, <laughs> it's actually thousands of years old. And believe it's a form of meditation that predates what we're practicing mm -hmm. you know? yeah. so something must have happened you know they're all laughing away and then something serious must have happened <laughs> so I would definitely say that you should try out the laughter meditation too you know it's really interesting to focus when you're laughing it actually makes it funnier so <clears throat> I'll finish with um, um, a few words of humour <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we have time for um, questions and answers. <clears throat> so this is um, a, a joke, and I'm sorry, I can see a couple of people that have heard this before, but not to worry. The older I get, the more I repeat myself anyway. So, so it's actually a joke about ageing. Um, it's three elderly men. And the first elderly man, we're sitting talking, the first elderly man says, oh, getting old's terrible. Getting old, it's just awful. It's my eyesight. I can hardly see a thing anymore. It's just awful, this suffering from getting older. And the second old guy goes, oh, no, it's my back. Oh, my back. You know, some days my leg's dragging. I can hardly walk. It's terrible, the things that happen when you get older. Of course, if they could only learn acceptance, they'd be quite happy, wouldn't they? Anyway, the third old guy goes, Well, I guess I must just be lucky, knock on wood. I don't have any of those afflictions of old age. Come in. So, um, <clears throat> on that note, uh, I don't think I brought anything else anyway. Um, I'd like to open the floor, so to speak, if anyone has anything they'd like to say, or if anyone was offended. Can, if anyone was offended, you can leave now. Yeah. Uh, would you mind reading the Robert Burns? Uh, that, that last part? Still thou art blessed compared with me. The present only toucheth thee, but ach, a backward cast my e on prospects drear, and forward though I canna see, I guess and fear. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. This was a wonderful talk, and I want to thank you. Um, it's a real pleasure just to be here and give you a talk. Um, about acceptance. How, how can you reconcile that with witnessing suffering? Like, Eason didn't accept the fact that there was a dying man in the street and just, and just walked by. Right. He, he, he responded to that suffering. Right, right, can you, yeah. Can you reconcile that? Yeah, because when I first heard of that... God, these glasses are really dirty. Oh, I can't see them. Oh, anyway, when I first heard of that... Um, the idea of acceptance, it actually made me really angry. And I said, well, I haven't fought all my life. You know, I left Scotland where I got beaten up all the time, and then I go to Amsterdam and try in all these different ways to find just a place to live in peace, you know. I haven't done all that just to accept how things are. <clears throat> and I said, you know, if Rosa Parks had accepted where she was sitting on the bus, where the hell would we all be, you know? But it took me actually quite a while to kind of get it, if you don't accept it, right, you can't do anything about it. Like if Rosa Parks had, every time she got on the bus, go, ah, oh, I don't want to sit in that, you know. But instead she sat down and she then took the action necessary. So it's like my teacher, Blanche, she said what brought her to Zen Buddhism was being part of a protest on Berkeley College in the years ago, in the 70s or something. And they had the riot cops there with their guns. And she went up and she was angry, you know, fighting for peace. <laughs> and goes up to this guy with the gun. And it was when people were putting flowers in the rifle barrels. And 
She reached up to put a flower in the rifle barrel and looked right in his eyes and realised that there was actually no difference between him and her. So she had to accept that common humanity. And then she stepped forward and kept protesting. So <coughs> it's a, am, I, am I explaining it well enough? It's, um, first you have to accept how it is. But that it's not passivity. That's what I thought was implied. That's, that's yeah. Oh, I accept it. Yes, you're right. You know, gay people are all terrible. Yeah. No. You know, it's just not a passive thing. You ex in accepting it is looking at it, understanding it, seeing where it's coming from, maybe, you know, causes, conditions. Then, if you feel you can, take action, you know. You know, I mean, I, I accept that right now gay people can't get married, right? But I've, I've been at City Hall every single time. I had five weddings lined up the other week before they extended the state. So I accept it, because if it didn't, I'd just sit there and froth and get angry. And if I get angry, I get hurt. The government will not get, ang will not get hurt if I get angry at them, only me. Right? So if I say, OK, this is how it is, right? And now I'm going to go down to City Hall and, you know. So, yeah, not a passive thing. It's a very important point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, I, I loved your talk and the little survey that you did at the beginning. And I, first I had a question about the relationship between compassion for oneself and loving kindness and compassion for others, but I decided I, I, that was too easy for me to deal with myself. So... A more difficult related question is about, I suppose, about wisdom or judgment. And this relates to the practice of compassion for others, as one might do in the street. So there I am walking along the street, and there's some homeless person, and I've had this happen, who has a sign or says, um, you know, my approach is to just tell you the truth. Uh, could you give me $5 or $2 for a beer? Because that's what I need to reduce my suffering. Right. And your question is? Then what? That's a really good question. You know, sometimes folks ask me that. Why can't, can I not do the easier one that you had first? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a tricky question and it's kind of a day-by-day -day thing. In general, I'd never give money. Never give money to um, people sitting on the streets. Um, and I think of it as kind of like tough love. There are actually, and this is just from having been around this problem for so many years, there are actually enough outreach teams, there's enough free food, there's that kind of thing, it's not great. But there isn't actually any reason for anyone to have to sit and, and ask for money on the sidewalk. And that might sound really hard-assed, but that's actually just how it is. And um, that when I first heard a case manager from the Tenderloin Housing Clinic express this, I thought, oh, you mean, how could you say that? But he said everybody that's out there on the street has been outreached at least ten times by some outreach team so um, I actually if 
if you feel a need, first of all, look at why you want to, you know, and if you feel a need, carry around some fruit bars, something like that, and you can directly give that, you know. But um, I would just say, no. What's much more important from having been homeless myself is nobody wants to look at you, nobody wants to touch you, nobody wants to talk to you. So my practice is to say, hi, hi, how are you doing, and um, exchange some words. That can save somebody's life. So, yeah. So if I may, just I didn't perhaps make it. I, 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 so the one that really relates more closely is about that in communication. So and something that I've recently experienced. <coughs> I've come to a conclusion, and I need to tell someone something they don't want to hear, for, in my view, their benefit and they don't want to hear it and don't like it when they do hear it. What, how does one handle those situations? Well, again, it, remember it's all about you. Right? The whole question about compassion, yes, you have to be compassionate to yourself first. Um, my mind just went a complete blank there. Could you say that last time? Sure. Part? So... I feel there's something of not, not a trivial nature, but of important nature to share with someone whom I care about. Uh, and I know they don't want to hear anything negative. And yet I feel it's in their best interest, yeah. not, not necessarily mine, to say it. Then what does one do? I don't, I don't okay. know if there's an answer yeah. to this. Well, no, no, actually, um, what comes up is the, the um, right speech. Mm -hmm. Right speech is, um, uh, you know, it's an inner guideline. But there's five things, and this will slow you right on down, <laughs> five <laughs> things to think of before you speak. Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? Is it timely? Is it true? So if you can pretty well go, mm-hmm, to all of those, go ahead. Ask yourself why you want to, though, you know. But those five things are great. Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Is it timely? Is it true? And remember that no matter what, we're always just making our best effort. There is no perfect response or perfect answer. But yeah, question yourself first. It's very hard to say what's for other people's benefit, actually. Probably have time for one more question. Okay, I think I see a hand over there. Hi, just a quick question. Uh, one of the things that, that I personally deal with is uh, forgiving others uh, in my past. I've come from a very difficult past and there's been a lot of hurt, trauma around me. and uh, I just want to find some, some sort of inner peace or some sort of, you know, Forgiveness, I guess. This, yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be a tough one. You know, never underestimate the power of ritual. You know, there are some lovely rituals that you could do in order to help heal that. But what's important, and this goes for any emotion, especially any emotion that's really something that's already gone by which is everything when you think about it, is that um, 
although you feel that, you don't have to be dragged around by it. Maybe you still feel a lot of anger or hurt at someone. If you operate from that, you're going to be the one that's suffering. As we said earlier, you know, anger just hurts you. So if you can acknowledge it, yes. You know, what people tend to do, in, especially in America, oh, I'm not angry. You know, and it'll just come back and bite you from behind. So acknowledge it completely. Yes, I'm angry. Or yes, I'm frightened. Or yes, any other emotion. And then move on freely. It's like they say, what does a monk offer the world? Fearlessness. It's not that it's not terrifying being out there, you know. But you recognize that completely. Don't bl blame yourself or judge yourself. Just terrors come up around this or anger, whatever. Acknowledge it completely and then move on free. You can move on freely now because you're not operating from it. So that's actually a really good way to deal with emotions that might be troublesome. See it completely. Don't deny it's happening. See it completely and then step on ahead. We're all that strong. We can all do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have a uh, host today? Yes, I'm your host. Um, there's fruit and um, little snacks, some Japanese mochi. Um, I've separated the peanut butter stuff just in case. Uh, if you drink tea, please rinse out your cup in the soapy water. Uh, I'll be coming around the Donna Bowl. Please be as generous as you can. And last but not least, there's a newsletter that we can send out or send it to you by email. So if you, could sign, if you care to sign up your list, you'll be quite aware as to what GBF is doing weekly. Any other announcements? Um, there was an article in the bar last week about the fellow and the organization that you spoke about already. So if any of you are interested, it was a good article in the last week's bar. Hi. Uh, thanks, Jana, for coming today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And next week, our speaker, uh, Helen Seward, was supposed to come, but she's quite ill and not able to be with us. So we will be doing an open discussion next week. Unless you want me back again. Pardon. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Oh, you want? Oh, would I love being with you guys? I'm at home here. You know. <laughs> anyway, I have a, a, an announcement too. Um, this Thursday, I'm starting a new um, venture in a combination with Kuan Yin Healing Arts. You might know them best, best acupuncturists. Um, and they've moved from the mission to, well, down the mission to Mission at 6th Street, 965, I think it is, Mission 4th Floor. Um, we're starting up uh, HealthQuest, which is to try to provide more services for low-income folks with all the health cuts that are going on. Um, my gig is Thursday evenings, 4 till 5. Everyone's welcome, and it's free, 4 till 5, and it's healing meditation. I used to be a shiatsu therapist, acupressure, <coughs> and then I taught Doin how to do acupressure on yourself. So I'm combining the self-acupressure with the meditation. So it's an hour, four to five. It's a lovely um, building they're in there. And everyone's welcome. So please 
Um, it's on my website if you want to um, look things up. But everyone's more than welcome. Okay. Will you tell us your, what your website uh, Oh, it's an easy one. www.janadraka.com How do you spell your... D-R-A-K-K-A. J-A-N-A-D-R-A-K-K-A. I just ran out of money or I could have brought some cards. Um, I just made an executive decision. Janet Rapp will be with us next Sunday. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> well, in that case, if anyone wants to give me a topic, or the other, what I was actually thinking of doing today was just come in and say, what, what, what would you like to hear about? So if you have a topic... Let me know. Um, but if you like to do the the old-fashioned dharma kind of combat where you throw a question and an answer bounces out, that's very interesting to do too. So let me know. if um, You can also contact me through the website. So. Could you read us on a closing? Yes. I'd like us all to do a little loving kindness meditation. So it starts, may I be happy, may I be peaceful and live in joy. And then I would like you to just extend it all the way around the circle. So we'll actually do it out loud, the first one, and then we'll extend it to all our friends. After me, one, two, three. May I be happy, may I live in peace and joy. May all of you be happy, may you live in peace and joy. And let's just silently send that out from here, from our heart center. Imagine the whole world being happy and living in peace and joy. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.